Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. How we doing? So uh, take a deep breath. I'm not sure you need to, but I do. <laughs> I was uh, reflecting on this little story. Uh, you've been around a while. You may have heard me tell it before, but uh, a lot of years ago, I was in a seminary. I was in a class, and we were talking about different styles of ministry and leadership, and different people were throwing out different ideas along the way. And one guy in the class raised his hand and said, well, what kind of ministry style do you recommend for a person that doesn't really like people? <laughs> well, it turns out that's probably an issue, probably an issue. And yet, <laughs> it seems like that a whole lot of people in church love people but don't really like them. I'm going to slow down a little bit. <laughs> like, we talk a lot about loving people, but there's a lot of people we don't like. And we're fairly vocal about it. I know, it's already a downer sermon. You're like, oh, great. It's the last thing I wanted to talk about today. We're talking about first things first. And today we're talking about respect and what that looks like. Because God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. It was relational. It was up close and personal. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are tempted yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we might receive mercy at our time of need. And somehow that we're invited into this idea, into this place, into this relationship with the God of the universe who got tabernacled in human flesh and walked around to feel the feels so that when we get messed up, he goes, I get that. I know how that feels. And then he had the nerve to say, as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this single marker will all people know that you are my disciples. By your love one for another. And so it feels like that somehow in this you know, complex thing we call the life of Jesus Christ, the life of the church, we've learned to love people without actually liking them. Because, you know, I, I, it takes some energy, it takes some call, it takes some focus to like human beings. But what we believe about human beings is this. They're created in God's image. All of them. Yes. Every last one of them. Yes. You know, this is the second time preaching this sermon already this morning. And you know what lies between that campus and this campus? Traffic. And so, you know, you preach this sermon, and then you get in your car, and then the Holy Spirit's like, yep, 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 yep. 
Because isn't it funny how that is our emotional makeup and how we make lists in our brains and how we, we know who the people we agree with and who we like and we know who, and yet we are the kingdom of God alive on earth. Jesus is very explicit. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine in such a way. And I don't think he meant let it shine in church. I mean, please, let it shine in church. But do you think that's really was the central focus? Don't you think the vision of the church was that we are the body of Jesus Christ? I'm not sure Jesus had in mind, you know, that we would all get together every weekend, you know, and we'd have big buildings and we'd do all kinds of stuff. Like, I don't know that that was his vision. That's where we are. I think the added in mind was we were the body of Christ and we, we scattered out. We were like, a, like a, a gardener scattering seed and it just got out there and bore fruit all over the place. This it was just coming up everywhere. And then, because we're human, we'd come back together to rejoice and celebrate and be empowered and encouraged and lifted up and to grow in the Word. The early church is just, let's talk about what Jesus taught us. Let's get it in our heads so we can go back out and we can be salt and we can be light and we can permeate the culture. But it's hard to love people when you don't like them very much. Peter was so vividly involved in this experience in life. A slow learner. A, slow, a genuinely slow learner. And yet that experience earned something for him in his journey. I, I can't imagine a person having a more powerful series of experiences than Peter. And so when you recognize that Peter gives us just two brief letters, we're almost at the end of this study of the first letter, and you can feel in that brevity of writing, you can feel how the, the things that happen to him show up in the letter. Nowhere is that more vivid than in the opening of chapter 5. So think for a minute about the timeline of Peter in the closing days of the story of Jesus. So if you stop for a moment and you just realized that Jesus, in some you know, sort of big epic narrative, has taken the disciples and he's drawn them out of all of the political chaos of Jerusalem and the Pharisees and the high priest. He's pulled them out of all of it. He's even taken them away from their hometown, from their families, and he's taken them to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is located in the very northeast corner of Israel. It's right today on the border of Lebanon and Syria. It's, it's way up there. In fact, just past that, you, 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 there are fences, so don't go over there. <laughs> and they go to a hillside there, and, and the hillside is littered with temples. It's, it's a place of great superstition. There is a cave, and in that cave, the there is a spring, and that spring becomes a part of the headwaters of the Jordan River. And so it's, it's a place that's considered to be, in ancient times especially, very magical. When the Greeks get involved, when Alexander conquers the world in 300 B.C., the, they go and see this water coming up, and they know that it's the gate of Hades. They, they know that water from the ground, from the river Styx, you guys have followed all the stuff, right? They know that it's a gateway to Hades, and they assume now that the god Pan was born in the cave, and so a temple is built to honor the god Pan. 
And then, of course, when the Romans come, they, they sort of overtake sort of the Hellenistic culture. And so now we have to have different temples. So we have a temple to Zeus. We have a temple then to Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. You know, it's named after Caesar. It was called Bonius or Pontius before that. That's where Jesus takes them. That's where they're standing. They're standing on that mountainside, looking at those temples, looking at that cave. And he says to them, who do people say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. Come back to life. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, for man did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven Upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That's a, that's a big day. That's a big day. And now Jesus literally, he's at this furthest point north and east. He turns his face to Jerusalem, and he says to the disciples in that moment, now we'll go to Jerusalem. He is, you really could mark the beginning of the passion right here in this moment. I'm going to go, I'm going to suffer, they're going to put me to death. And Peter says, we're not going to let you go. And he says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you do not have the th- in mind the things of God, but the things of man. That's an abrupt switch. One of the disciples at this moment says, let us go with him and die with him. They know. That's a big day. They go from that point to just a few days later, the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter stands beside Jesus as he's glorified, as Moses and Elijah appear, and he's babbling. He's just talking out of his hat. You know what we ought to do? We ought to build a tent. Maybe have a charcuterie board. It will be great. We'll all gather around. We'll have a little snack. We can mix up Kool-Aid. It'll be great. Just doesn't know what to say. I mean, just read, read it. He, he witnesses this trend. I mean, it would be a big deal to see Elijah and Moses. You'd think something's up. But the transformation of God, the transformation of Jesus as, he's, as his body glows, or totally glows like lightning, that's a big day. And they make their way south. In very rapid succession now, we'll have the raising of Lazarus. I'm trying to... It's the timeline of what's happening to Peter in such rapid succession. These are cataclysmic moments. It's a big deal when somebody's called out of the tomb and they live again. That's, that's a big deal. And then right on its trail, right immediately after is the triumphant entry. And then we move to the Last Supper and the washing of the feet. And, and, and Matthew in, ch- in chapter 26, he gives us the image of the Last Supper. And then he gives us the image of Gethsemane. And then we have the image of the denial. They come in such rapid succession, squeezed together in the narrative. The raising of Lazarus, the triumphant entry, now round the table. Jesus is washing feet, and Peter says, not my feet. <laughs> You'll never wash my feet. Well, then you can have no part of me. Peter says, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. And he, for the first time now, he looks at Peter and says, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. They walk out of that room down the Kidron Valley over into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to Peter and James and John, Come with me. My soul is burdened unto death. And they kneel and pray and they fall asleep. 
could you not pray with me one hour? The arrest is in the garden. They go to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter lingers in the courtyard and three times denies Jesus. These are cataclysmic events that are happening within days of one another. They're shaping everything about who Peter is and about what he thinks, about how he sees the world and how he sees others. The crucifixion takes place, the resurrection. The disciples are lost, they're weary, they don't know what to do. They go home. All the fishermen end up back in Capernaum. They end up out on a Sea of Galilee fishing all night. They've caught nothing, and in the early morning, as the sun comes up, they see a figure walking along the beach. The figure shouts to them, let your nets down on the other side of the boat. And they do. The nets are so full of fish that they can't pull them in, and as soon as the net gets tight and full, Peter says, it's the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore because that's what Peter does. Jesus has made a charcoal fire, we're told. And when the boat is rowed in, he takes some of the fish and he begins to prepare them breakfast. And as they talk together, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And Peter is hurt that Jesus is asking again. And he says, you know all things and you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. He doesn't know yet. He doesn't realize that he hasn't put it all together. But the, the threefold denial is rewarded with a threefold restoration. And he'll think about that a lot. It starts to come into play in this letter as he begins to draw together how you and I are invited to live in this world. It seems to me that we could use a few more quality leaders in the world. I'm going to try again. <laughs> it seems to me that we could use a few more quality leaders in the world. Yes. And, and I don't... I really believe we have way more quality leaders in the world than we think. I think somehow we've gotten into a place of, you know, sort of holding out mediocrity and tragedy instead of celebrating actual quality people in our culture and our world. But even if you just allowed for the fact that there's probably way more quality leaders than we're getting told about or talked about or being highlighted, still, we could use a few more. Amen? And just so, you know, I've led you carefully into this trap... You are leaders. Peter will say, you are a priesthood of believers. All of us. Jesus didn't say, some of you are leaders and other you are not. No, no, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're the body of Christ. We are the leaders. We, so here's the question. Who are you leading? And where are you leading? And how are you leading? And maybe a fourth one would be, why aren't you leading? Because <laughs> it's not enough to think about what others ought to be doing. It's enough to think about what we ought to be doing, what we're called to be. 
And what are we being? We're called to be people who love, honor, respect, look around us and see people who are in need of the life of Christ, people who are His very children. Amen? Is that what we see? We love them. We just don't like them that much. And that's a hard sell, isn't it? It's a hard sell. I was reading an article the other day in Forbes magazine. Actually, I was doing research for this sermon, and I came across this article. It's written by a guy named Chris Sabalero, and it's entitled, How Leadership Has Changed Over the Generations. I mean, if you come across that article, you'd read it, wouldn't you? Because what you'd be hoping for is that us old people were great leaders and young people aren't very good leaders. Just so you know, that's not what the article says. This is what the article says. It says that in the old days, the old style of leadership was to be a tyrant. Yeah. That the philosophy of the old leadership style, remember it's a business article, was you can take it or leave it. You can like it or lump it. This is how we do things here. You can leave and find yourself another job, but we really don't need to hear about what you think. Anybody have a boss like that at any point in your life? Okay. Anybody been a boss like that at any point in your life? <laughs> he said, so sort of the old style of leadership was to be a tyrant. You just sort of dominated. It, it was, you know, kind of, you know, this is what it is, and if you want it, you can do it, and if you don't, be quiet. And he said, the new style of leadership is more chaotic. It's trying to pay attention to everyone's feelings. And so there's hard to get traction because there's always another layer of feelings to get to before we can make big decisions and move forward. And he calls this leadership style chaos. So we got this tyrant on one side and chaos on the other. And he says, we might want to find another way of leading that might be more effective. Can you imagine what he might say is the style of leadership we need to find? Let me help you out. In fact, as leaders, we need to have a smattering of leadership styles in our toolbox, but the foundation of who we are as leaders must be based on servant leadership. The true measurement of leadership success is how engaged, satisfied, and productive your workforce is, and the practice of servant leadership is how we make that possible. That's a shocking article, isn't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doesn't it seem to, it seems to me that folks whose motive is to make some money have figured out that if you want to get people to do what you want them to do, you got to serve them in a loving way. And we, who hold the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of the world, we love people, but we don't like them very much. And some ought to change in that. Amen? Amen. I mean some real heart searching. <laughs> Where I attempt to fall in love with humanity again. Not all their bad habits. Not their driving. Not their driving. <laughs> this is an exercise. I'm going to say things that you're going to say amen. <laughs> not their bad habits. Amen. Not, not the fact that they sort of wander around with no morality. But we're going to fall in love with humanity again. We're going to stop holding everybody at arm's length. 
just like Jesus did. And if you remember the story, it were the people over at the church, at the temple, who were so upset that Jesus kept loving on people who were outside the circle, who weren't well-liked. I mean, they kept asking big questions. Why are you hanging out with these people? Why are you over here? You're supposed to be over there. You're supposed to be over there with us, loving everybody, but not liking them. You keep liking people, and who knows what's going to happen? Amen? So Peter brings it up. He brings it up. Listen to what he writes, chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. It's under your care, watching you know, <clears> oak, <throat> you know. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. I see seven things that he's highlighting. Number one, be humble. To the fellow elders at Asia Minor. This is, blows my mind. So he's writing to this struggling group of Christians in Asia Minor who are going through, they're facing the first days of persecution. They don't know what to do. He's written this letter to say, you know, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And, and here's how it works. And this is how he addresses them, to my fellow elders. If I was Peter, that is not what I would have said. I would have said, to you poor country bumpkins living in Asia Minor who didn't have the privilege of knowing Jesus as I did. I'll tell you another quick seminary story. I was in a class one day on spiritual formations, and they were saying, you got to go around there and tell your best day you ever lived. Tell your best day you ever lived. They'd like to just go around the room, people going around the room, saying their best day they ever lived. I'm thinking, 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 you know, the day I got married, the day my kid was born. The guy in front of me came to him. The day I walked the streets of Calcutta with Mother Teresa. <laughs> so you follow that up. <laughs> I would have had a little of that attitude if I was Peter. You know, you folks who don't know nearly as much as I do, who walk with Jesus, you remember that Caesarea Philippi when I said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> and remember when Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. <laughs> Man did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, upon this rock I will build my... Remember? That was me. Transfiguration, he was glowing. I was building tents, he was glowing. But what does he say to those people? Fellow elders, equals with me. People who are different but from me but of equal worth to me. Humility, 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 humility. It ought to mark us. It ought to mark us. 
It's a part of being respectful. Number two, expertise. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness to Christ's suffering. He, does, he acknowledges, listen, I saw some stuff. I know some stuff. When did we lose such respect for expertise in our culture and in our world? When's the last time you even bothered to find out the expertise of the people around you? I'm astonished. I'm astonished at what people can do and what they know. And you know what it takes? You have to ask them. You have to be interested enough to hear their story. There are people around this room right now that you can't imagine the expertise they have. But somehow in our culture, we have chosen to believe stuff written on the Internet by people we don't know instead of consulting people with whom we are sharing life, who have expertise in all kinds of areas. Why do they have it? Because they walked it, and they lived it, and they did it, and they learned from it. And when humility and expertise marry up together, it is a powerful, powerful thing. We ought to respect. We don't just need to love each other. We ought to like each other. We walk humbly. We value expertise. We celebrate it. We build people up. We edify them because it matters. It absolutely matters. Number three, shepherding. When I said seven things, you guys thought he'll never get through them. See how short they are? <laughs> shepherding. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. I just think this is that moment when he's thinking about the fact that he said, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I'm the great shepherd. You go be a great shepherd. Who are you shepherding? I mean, really shepherding. I think there's some people that were more like sheep dogs around. You understand what I'm saying? We've gotten confused. We thought we were shepherds, but we're really sheep dogs. We bark a lot. We don't mind biting a little. Come on, people. We often relate to others more like sheep dogs. Let's get them driven where they need to go. Do I need to break this down further? Because I can talk about parents and children if you want. Because sometimes we forget as parents and we act more like sheep dogs than shepherds. But it's not just our kids, is it? I mean, if somebody just recorded my conversations about other human beings for a week, would you come away going, that is one loving guy. I mean, <laughs> wow. He didn't have a bad thing to say about anybody yet today in the last five minutes. Isn't that convicting? Shepherd. Be a shepherd. Have a right attitude. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care watching over them. Not because you must. You ought to have a good attitude. Not because you're obligated. We shouldn't do things out of... Their attitude should be an attitude of servanthood. Even the business people know if you're going to be an effective leader, you better have servant leadership. And by the way, he defines that. He defines it as two things. What is servant leadership? It's actively listening to people. And not just listening to their words. This is his article, not mine but listening to their feelings. When's the last time we did that? I can't even listen to their words, much less get into the messiness of their feelings. It's hard work, isn't it? It takes time. It takes energy. It takes commitment. It takes genuine love. The second thing, it's not just active listening. It's empathy. It's putting yourself in the shoes of the other person. If we're going to have servant leadership, we do it not out of some sense of obligation. There, there's a joy about it. There's a celebration about it. We're not obligated. You know how you can tell if you're obligated? 
Oh, man, they needed my help again. They're asking, I just have to do everything. I know none of you ever make this speech. I just have to do everything. It's all up to me. I never... Uh, uh. Peter's learned some stuff. Be humble. Celebrate expertise. Be a shepherd. Have a right attitude. And then if we didn't get it, he adds number five, willingness. Be shepherds of God's flock under your care. Watch and over, not because you must, but because you're willing the way God wants you to be. Is that our spirit? Is that what happens? This is what we thought. We thought that if we did less and less, we'd have more energy. Amen? Didn't we all think that? How many of you are longing for COVID days? (laughs) See, nobody's going to raise their hand. However... (laughs) If I said it a different way, how many of you long to be able to stay at your house for the next five weeks and not have to go anywhere or do anything, and you can order all the food to come in? See, there's enough people here. They're like, eh. I'm going to raise my hand straight up, but, you know, <laughs> kind of like that. And we thought if we did less and less, we'd be more energized. We'd be like happier people, but we're not, are we? We found out that something that mattered deeply was lost. Connection, relationship, willingness. We're not serving because we have to. We want to. We want to. We're willing. We're looking for opportunities to shepherd, to lead, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Number six, right spirit, not lording over those entrusted to you. We're not heavy-handed people. We're not domineering. We're not bullies. All right, I'm going to try again. It's 11.01. I commit to be finished by 11.20 at the latest. I'm kidding. (laughs) Sometimes we celebrate angry Christians. You don't do it because you're obligated, but because you're willing. And we don't do it out of some sense of power. We don't abuse the opportunity. We, we do it in a loving spirit, in a, in a place of invitation and warmth and joy and celebration, just like Jesus did. Just like He did. How many stories of people outside the circle are overwhelmed by the kindness of Jesus. Zacchaeus, come down from there. Because I'm going to your house today. How is it you, a Jew, speaks to me, a Samaritan woman? (laughs) Because I'm interested in your soul. Because I'm not obligated, I'm willing. And I do it in a spirit that is not domineering Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became obedient as a servant. You know how that verse starts? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. The one guy that could have gone around whacking people on the head and been justified. He'd have been right. (laughs) Chose not to. He chose not to. And Peter reflects those words, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but be examples. And finally, proper respect. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. I grew up in a culture that my parents taught me to respect everybody. Anybody else grow up that way? Yeah, well, you, you, you know, you could get whacked for not respecting anybody. 
I mean, you, you get a spanking. That's where they take a belt. Back in those days, they could do that to you at school. If you disrespected somebody at school, they'd take you down. The coach would always take you down. Yeah, okay, I got a paddle. You get the paddling. Here you go. I'm not saying that was a great way to live. I'm just saying this. The idea was you respect everybody until they prove they're not worthy of your respect, and then you create meaningful boundaries in those relationships. Amen. I think today we've sort of gone the opposite way. Don't respect anybody until they've earned it. And here's the problem. None of us ever really earn it. We're just, we're just fallible, weak human beings. And if you look hard enough, you're going to find flaws in every single one of us. And so then we just have this sort of degradation of respect and honor. And we say words. And we talk in ways. And our attitudes erode. And it's not all about our young people and how they're acting. Because they're learning it from us who talk bad about other people. And they hear us talking about people in that way. And they think, oh, it's okay to disrespect people like that. Because we love everybody. But we don't like them very much. And you and I, we are called. Listen. The church of Jesus Christ does not grow because of the pastor. Okay, you don't know if you should say amen or not, so I'm going to help you. You should say amen. The church of Jesus Christ does not grow because of the pastor. A pastor can destroy a church, but you know why a church grows? Because you get excited, and you go invite somebody. 99.9% of all people who come to know Jesus Christ do so because a friend asked them to church. Do you understand that? Not because the pastor had, you know, cool shoes, and they are. They're pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, they're not $6,000 sneakers, but not a single person in this room got that joke. You got it? You got it? Ask, ask Colton about that joke. It grows because the body of Christ becomes excited about being the body of Christ. It grows because people like you say, you know what, I got something that might help you. I know you're struggling. Why don't you come with me this week? Because I'm going to put you in a group of people that are going to love you, respect you, honor you. In fact, it's going to be the most loving place you've ever been. You'll feel it when you walk in the room because it's the very body of Christ alive on earth. It's because they get out of the walls and they go be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It becomes infectious and fruit grows. That's why the church of Jesus Christ grows. That's what revival really is. That's what it means to be the people he's called us to. We don't just love them. We pray, God, I want to like them. I want to fall in love with humanity again. I want to see through eyes of compassion and care and love. I want to be a person of deep respect and honor, and I want to lead. I want to lead. God, would you please help us? As Peter took his experiences, his failures, the timeline of his journey, and he placed himself into a place of humility and service, he served with the last ounce of his life. And then he pours out his heart on these pages, and he invites us to be those kind of leaders, those kind of people, those kind of parents, those kind of friends. To be people in the midst of a culture that feels so hateful and divided and angry. 
God, would you allow us to be the very presence of Christ in this world? Would you speak to us, not, not just in these closing moments, there's so much going on in the life of this church. There's something about a building going on, and they got all, and we're praying. I pray every person here is praying daily. But Lord, do work in us. We don't want to love people. We want to like them. We, we want to be excited about the people in our neighborhood and down the street. And we want to care. We want to take the time. We want to see. We want to notice. We want to shepherd. Not because we have to, because we are willing and we want to. Change us, God. Change us. Ever change us into your image so that we might be the very body of Christ. Would you hear our prayers as we close this service, as we respond to your word? These words, they're our prayer. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.